everyone. Welcome to Handing the Shame Back. Uh, my name's Gloria Masters and I host this for the amazing survivors across the world who have experienced any form of child sexual abuse. And we know there's many and we know it's on the rise and it's amazing people like my next guest who actually help us to make sense of it and have a conversation so that this is out in the open and not hidden in the background. Look, as with with all shows, you survivors know by now that we're always going to have a trigger warning because I don't want you traumatised and upset. If by any chance you happen to feel triggered, please do stop watching. Go to the show notes below and you'll be directed to some resource and support. So today I've got Donald Cribbs. He's all the way from Pennsylvania. Um, he's an amazing guy, I could tell straight away. He's a trauma survivor, clearly. He's an author and he is a licensed professional counsellor specialising in trauma. Welcome to the show, Don. Thank you so much, Gloria. It's wonderful to be here. Uh, such an honor. Um, love watching your show. Uh, it's been helping me as well. So thank you. Oh, bless. You're my newbie's friend. Hear that, survivor? <laughs> Hello, beautiful ones. So we, we're going to launch in and uh, we're going to uh, hear what happened to the amazing Dawn. So, Don, just as much or as little as you would like to share with us. Sure. Well, um, I appreciate the the space you've offered here. Um, so important for survivors to be able to lift their voice and to know that there's not going to be backlash, that there that I'm going to be heard and seen and believed and understood and supported. Um, and I, I think that's what we all need as survivors. So for me, um, my story started, um, in childhood. Uh, I was quite young. I was about six years old and, um, my abuser was somebody I knew, um, very briefly. Um, my my mother and my father had divorced, had uh, ended their marriage, and she had three young kids and found this guy and thought he was great because, wow, he's okay with three other kids. But little did she know the the danger that was lurking around the corner there. And it was presented to me that I take the bullet for my siblings. Um, and so I thought by cooperating with what happened, I would spare my siblings from being hurt in the same way. Um, and that went on for a good six months, um, from six to six and a half. And then uh, something happened. Okay. So before I, speak further i'm just going to indicate because you all are pretty savvy i imagine you're going to pick up on this 
I'm going to use very careful language when referring to my sibling. My sibling is also a survivor, but their story is not my story to tell. So I'm going to honor that and not use their pronouns. Um, so <clears throat> I heard something spoken by my sibling and it gave it up right away. I knew exact same language that was said to me. They were saying like a, it was echoed back to me and I knew, oh no, what did you say? <laughs> and then we, we spoke again we realized that we had both been lied to that they thought they were taking the bullet for for us and i thought i was taking the bullet for them we were all being lied to so we went to um my mother and told her and uh luckily for us we were believed i know that's not always the case uh, many survivors are not believed um, but fortunately, we were. And in the state that we were living in, we could not stay during the court case. And the court case took two years because our abuser lied and said he didn't do it for a year and a half. Um, so we had to, we were on the west, on the East Coast and we flew out to the West Coast and lived with my um, father's parents. Um, and it was there that I found one of the first things that helped support me, which was God. Uh, my grandmother read to us uh, from the picture Bible. It's sort of like a comic book version of the Bible. And um, I found that very helpful. Um, when we went to church, I also joined the choir. And music was my second big thing that helped me uh, heal and survive. And it wasn't until later that I would find humor is my, the third of my big threes uh, <laughs> that helped me. Um, so I just invite the listeners to consider what their big three or whatever number that is, doesn't have to be three. Uh, what are those things that they have found that, that helped them along the way? Um, so that's, that's just briefly the the overview of what happened. Um, Can I there, just, there more... just you? sorry? So you're saying that you moved out of state. Your mother took you kids and moved you out to live with your father's parents. Mm -hmm. Is that correct? She actually stayed in the in the state we were in. We we're in Virginia. Yeah. Um, and I went out to California. California is actually where I was born. Yeah. Um, so she didn't so... come with you kids, or she did come? No. no. Oh, so she stayed with him, and you three got... No, she, she stayed... She didn't stay with him. He went to jail. <laughs> uh, and, and then he was not with her, living with her um, throughout the court case, but she stayed... Um, so that when we came for the court, we had a place to stay with her. And then we were with our grandparents in between, trying to live life and go to kindergarten. And, you know, oh, that, that sort of thing. That must have been really hard 
mm-hmm. losing your mum. Yeah, mm. it was. In fact, uh, I think that began my ten years of nightmares that I had. Yeah. Uh, um, and uh, there was a season I went to England and lived there a couple years with my dad. Um, and I struggled with uh, bedwetting being so far away from my mom. So, yeah, it was hard. And, and, and just to make sense of it, too, I think, Dawn, if it's okay, if we, we go down this little trail, you know, and for our beautiful survivor family watching us, you found the courage along with your amazing sibling to tell your mother she instantly believed you but the ultimate cost was to lose her Mm -hmm. for good intent don't get me wrong but at the time when you possibly needed her the most what do you think yeah I, I think you're you're onto something there. Um, and just to you know further complicate it um, later, um, our relationship was a little bit strained, mine and my mom's. Um, she developed a gambling habit to kind of cope with some of what she was dealing with. And um, it turns out that she showed a lot of tendency toward narcissism. Um, and unfortunately she's deceased. So, um, you know, while you have your family, love them because you don't know when they're going to be gone. But even so, you still love a parent, even if they have a mess themselves, even if they don't have it all together themselves. Um, we all still need our mom sometimes, you know. Of course, of course. And, and and none more so than children like your wonderful self who have experienced that type of sexual abuse at such a young age, you know. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter how good or bad or neglectful or amazing parents are. As a child, we have no choice but to need them because that is how we we evolve and grow and thrive and eat and sleep and you know have have our Maslow's hierarchy of needs met. Children, oh yes, adults. So it's highly unlikely you would be able to turn your mother bad. It's much more likely as a a child. I'm talking from my perspective much more likely I would turn myself bad because I needed the parent to help me exist. Mm. Yeah. So it was just, unfortunately, a a very, um, just a a bad opportunity. Um, He, sad to say, he babysat a bunch of other kids too. Um, I remember we were all just sitting around watching TV and he would, you know, use things like verbal abuse and then physical abuse 
maybe a spanking in front of everyone and shame, drag a child into the bedroom, abuse them while the other kids are sitting out in the living room. Uh, so it was that kind of toxic environment or he would take me off to a isolated place like a family member's house where he was going to mow the yard and then go in and abuse me later. Um, I didn't know that's what was happening, but that's what happened. Uh, so it was that sort of thing. Um, and I had to go into judges chambers and testify, you know, what happened. And they, they botched the whole thing right after I shared exactly all the things that I remember, every detail of a dozen different assaults uh, that I was specifically going through. I'm six years old, mind you. The judge says, oh, we're going to bring him in and, and see if you can handle it. Like, that's the moment they chose to bring him in and test me. And I was already in an elevated state. It was just ridiculous. I mean, as an adult now, thinking back on it, they totally botched it. He certainly didn't make me feel safe. He didn't assure me that all the adults were going to keep me safe. They just brought him in. He's in handcuffs, in his orange jumpsuit, and cussing and screaming and threatening me, and nobody's saying anything to him. And then they're like, oh. When they saw that I froze, that was my response. Um, they decided I wasn't able to deal with it. And I thought, so you're going to take away from me my right to speak and testify against him because you didn't handle it right. And you fumbled this task of, um, you know, making sure that I was safe first. Or considering something like closed circuit TV. You know, this was the early 70s. It wasn't, they had just started. They, there wasn't many cases. There weren't many cases. And um, so things like this were happening. But don't worry, I kept my receipts and told you I wrote my book. I'm writing book two and I will address those receipts in book two. So it's, uh, isn't it interesting that even though now we fast track, don't we, and it's now 50 years or, or you know, five, nearly five decades later, um, that I would still say to you, I, my opinion, even today, victims and survivors and even children and adolescents are still... Um, put under so much pressure to justify what they're claiming that it it's not survivor focused. Mm, not at all. A and people wonder why children don't speak. Right. And case in point, you know, I know I happen to be a male survivor. Well, male yes. survivors speak even less than yes. female survivors. But the statistics say it's about one in four for girls before they turn 18, one in six for boys before they turn 18. And that statistic is true for me. 
I'm the one in six. We 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 have in our country um, that it's one in three girls mm -hmm. and uh, one in five boys. So yeah, pretty similar. Doesn't surprise me, and I it breaks my heart that the statistic is moving in the wrong direction. And I want to spend my life finding every way to turn that around the other way. So, Don, for you, you know, let, let's go back to you're in the, the lounge with him. You're six years old. There's a whole lot of other kids. He's babysitting. He can pick and choose whoever he wants to, clearly, and take them off into a bedroom, pseudo-punishment, whatever he he wants to label it. What did you, can you recall if you ever had that feeling when he took your sib out of that lounge? Did you ever have an instinct or was it just a big shock uh, when you found out later? Um, oddly enough, I never saw their abuse. It was all kept hidden it happened at other times i never saw it yeah it was never overlapping with mine but i know that i was in a room with a bunch of other kids and i was able to deduce that if he was doing that to me he's probably doing it to some of these other kids too um and so that part didn't surprise me at all um it worried me I always worried about those other kids. I always felt like maybe there was some way that it was also my fault. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's a really valid point you raise because that is part of the grooming, of course, is to mm -hmm. have the child feel responsible or have the child feel as though it was something they did or said or thought. And, and we now know that that magical thinking is not true. That that yeah. it is a hundred. Who 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 does it belong to? It's a hundred percent. The abuser, hundred percent. No, I'm handing that completely back to the abuser. Right? It's not mine. And you're you're dead right. He absolutely groomed me, and I I did figure out some of that later. Um, one of the ways that he groomed me was when he took me to that farm. It was a property that somebody in his family owned, and he was tending to it, mowing the grass. Um, but it was a place where he could do whatever he wanted, and nobody else was really there. And that's why he liked it. At that property, there was an outhouse in the field. And in the outhouse, he had hung pornography there and i saw it and it it troubled me i was just trying to use the bathroom you know i wasn't there to look at that but he used it later and he shamed me with it and said i was a dirty boy that i looked at that that i i liked it and he projected all sorts of things onto me to get that leverage to to groom me um made me made me feel like some of that was on me but 
And that isn't that uh, that classic uh, manipulation, um, mm. because that ensures then that you are less likely to speak, even though you would never have spoken. Uh, you know, finding that courage for non-survivors watching, it it can be for us like abseiling down a cliff with no safety gear. That's how frightening it is to find our words. Yeah. I'm so proud of you, Don, that, and it's not comparative, but I'm so impressed or amazed or, wow, that you found your voice at six and a half years of age. Mm, I wouldn't say that. It, it was quite a bit later. Um, oh, but... you didn't tell your mother. I thought you said it went on for six months. Well, you're, you are correct that I told her and that started the process and I certainly, you know, went through the court case and then my voice was robbed again. And that just killed me. I was so angry because I didn't know how to fix it. I thought um, if I could go through the abuse and be assaulted over and over and over again, um, I should be allowed to have my day in court and they shouldn't mishandle that and take it away from me because they didn't know how to do it right. It cost me greatly and he got a light sentence as a result. I was just listed as another known victim. So they used it a, a little, but the, the sentencing was very light. He ended up with seven years. Um, I'll give a detail about my sibling just so that the audience can understand they were abused for over two years. And um, it was much more severe than, than I went through. But even so, you know, not to compare, it's, we, we don't, serve ourselves by comparing with others we only benefit by comparing ourselves to ourselves. you know but look, here i was this now i'm here look at how far i've come that's fine a hundred percent but i understand you you're just trying to put it in context thank you you know mm -hmm. the other thing i would say about this comparative suffering not that you're trying to do it but when survivors come forward, and it's a good good reminder, so thank you for raising it, Dawn, that it doesn't matter how often or whether it was just a one-off that a sexual abuse occurred to you amazing survivors out there because this, the exact same trauma responses will emerge, mm -hmm. whether it was one or whether it was 4,000. So... I just want to give, give you guys permission, and Don, what do you make of that, to not feel less than if you didn't have more abuse? Yeah, I mean, my heart breaks for every survivor, so we're all brothers and sisters. Um, that's kind of where I land with it, but um, I get the privilege of of doing this work Uh day in and day out helping people come out of that burning building of trauma and find freedom um, 
well, we all need it. And funny thing, I hated counselors when I was a kid. <laughs> I pushed them all away. I wouldn't talk to them because I didn't trust them. It just wasn't the right time. But yeah, as far as what I make of it, I would just say you you could be a trauma survivor and never have been touched. Abuse can happen just by being exposed to porn and nudity and um, just whatever those things are happening there. That's still abuse, even if a person is never touched. But typically we are touched and we're touched all different times of day. I would wake up. I was asleep in the middle of the night and be and wake up to him doing things to me and it just was terrible i couldn't even have a break and get relief from sleep and then i had 10 years of nightmares so i really didn't have relief from sleep i was being chased by a demon um that was sort of the metaphor that my brain came up with for my abuser and just died a thousand different ways every night same i would go down the same stone stairs turn the corner and something different would happen each time and i couldn't control it i was just reacting and running and being drowning in in quicksand or underwater or burned at the stake or chased it was awful oh don you know and how powerful are our minds and, and we're just coming into closing out for part one here but how powerful are our minds that uh, they're always trying to take us to healing and so emerging through the subconscious was all of this horror but of course um, you know it was unable to to be dealt with at that point so Don, please stay right there. Uh, I'll just close out with our amazing audience. You're welcome survivors. What a wonderful person we have in Don sharing his story with us. And, you know, just as we're closing out for part one, I just want you to know, I see you, I stand beside you, and I believe you always. <laughs>